see all your smiling faces today. I'm glad out of every place that you could choose to be in the whole world that you chose to be in the house of the Lord and with God's people today. I'm, I'm thankful for this family of God. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful. There's something that's life-giving when we enter into a place. And uh, if you're a guest here today, let me just welcome you home because you're, you're going to end up coming here anyway. So, so just welcome home. Because you're just going to feel the love of God through his people, and, and that's our desire. Uh, that as we walk through life together, do life together, and grow in the Lord together, it's just wonderful. So how many of you today, now that we are, are into the second week of December, your, your Christmas shopping is entirely done? You're done. I hate you. Just figured we'd throw that right out there. Now, how many of you started buying Christmas gifts for this Christmas the day after last Christmas? A lot of you, a lot of you. Those tell me who the budgeters are. And how many of you still haven't touched your list yet at all? There's a few of you. There's a few of you. So that means most of you are about halfway between, about halfway between. That's good. How many of you have kids that are experts? That they may not get their homework done well, but they're experts at list writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Suddenly everything comes clear. There's this stage that, that we are at today, and, and today the, the title of the message is Waiting on Christmas, Waiting on Christmas. Uh, we get to this particular time of the year, and those of us that are parents and grandparents and, you know, or you're married, there, there's this expectation that something great is going to happen in a few days. There's just this sense of anticipation. I have loved looking at Facebook at the pictures of all of you and the different trees. Some of you are Hershey Kiss type trees that just, they're not very high, but they're wide. Take up half your room, you know. And, and others of you, somebody sent me a, by the way, whoever sent me the picture of the Christmas tree with the deer head in it and, and all of the arrows and all, that was, I've had people say, how did you get away with that knowing Cindy? That is not my tree. Only in my dreams could I dream of a tree as beautiful as that. We, we have other ornaments that make it into our house. But uh, the, the personalities that come out of all of this during this time of anticipation. I have several friends that are pastors and they have started an, an Advent season where on the, the first Sunday of December they begin to lead up with anticipation through the Advent season of, of Christmas. And as I was thinking about that the other day, I thought, you know, it's kind of like for those of you uh, who have been pregnant or perhaps you're pregnant now, and from the moment you find out, I remember when Cindy told me the first time that we were going to have a baby, that for nine months our discussion was on getting ready for this great arrival, and we would talk about, you know, wondering who this child was going to look like and what their personality would be like, and, and, and we make all of these things, and we believe that our children are going to be just perfect, in every way, and, and some of you are laughing like, yeah, the reality didn't quite hit the goal there. Uh, but we have these dreams, and then there's that period of, of waiting. You're just waiting for the arrival. And then the baby comes and looks just like a baby and uh, has its own life, its own direction. Everything in your life changes. Our lives change, and they're never the same. That is the sense that we get during Advent season as we're waiting for Christmas Advent means the arrival or the coming. It's the time of the year where we celebrate and prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And beginning on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day and leading up to the festivities of December 25th, it's intended to be a time where we prepare our hearts 
for the coming of Christ. And it's marked by themes, seasons of, of self-reflection, where we really look at our lives. Anticipation, hope, and ultimately the joyful celebration of the Savior's coming. But these themes for us carry a dual meaning. Not only do we, do we look forward to the anticipation of Christmas Day arriving, but for us we also are in that period of time where we know that Jesus has come. Now we're looking for His return. Now we're living in a season where we're waiting for the rapture of the church when he says, that's enough, and the trump of the Lord sounds, and the dead in Christ rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him, and we know that this could happen at any moment. And so there's that anticipation, and we're just, we're just waiting for all of these things to happen. Advent means to get ready. So I look at this and say, is it Advent or is it Christmas? Are we waiting or are we celebrating? Or can we do all of these things at the same time? And it's, it's really a place within our world. And we live in a world that celebrates Christmas but gives very little thought to what Christmas really is. And it's really unthinkable for us. It's incomprehensible to understand that God himself came among us not valuing wealth or human comfort as we think of it. But he came to live among us, born into a working class home in an occupied country. His idea of saving had nothing to do with a political system. It had everything to do with us as individuals. And the truth is, from time to time, we just get tired of waiting. How many of you have ever said, Lord, I wish you would just come today? Have any of you been there? I used to think that the Lord was going to come the day before my wedding. <laughs> that was the only day of my life. Well, that, not the only day, but one of the few days of my life where I'm saying, Lord, please don't come today. But as a church, we have this anticipation. I don't know where Santa plays a role in your family traditions. In my family, Santa was just kind of another ornament. But there have been some interesting letters that have been written by kids that are having a hard time waiting for Christmas. And here are some actual letters that were written to Santa. Dear Santa, when you come to my house, there's going to be cookies for you. But if you're really hungry, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. <laughs> Dear Santa, I want a puppy. And I want a playhouse, thank you. I've been good most of the time, but sometimes my dad says I'm wild. And then there's this one from a four-year-old. Santa, I'll take anything, because my dad says I haven't been that good. <laughs> and then there's this one. Dear Santa, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. I want the art animator for my iPad, two packages of number two pencils, and then the big gift. I want my own TV. Now... If you have to drop something because you think I'm being too selfish, you can drop the pencils. <laughs> so Christmas is often associated with just with waiting. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Luke chapter 2. And I'm actually going to read verses 25 through 39, which is actually after the birth of Jesus. So this is not chronological in any way whatsoever. But fits well with what I believe the Lord wants us to speak about today and to consider. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 25 through 39. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. 
Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to to him, as the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against. So the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel in the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town. Lord, I pray now that you would just take this passage of Scripture that we are so familiar with and that you would enlighten our heart with its truth, perhaps once again for those that have heard it so many times and perhaps for the first time for those that are entering into this season with a new appreciation for the Savior Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you some questions. What are you waiting for at Christmas time? What are you longing for? What is it that if you could have anything that your heart desires, what is it that you would put on that list? What are you expecting to receive? What are you hoping that in the middle of all of this, there's something that's special that is deposited within your life? What is those things that you just are waiting for at this Christmas? In this particular passage of Scripture, there are two characters who make their appearance in the final acts of this Christmas drama. One of them is named Simeon, and the other is named Anna. Now, they don't appear in any other nativity scene pictures, and when I came in this morning, I I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting this. This doesn't look like a nativity scene at all over here. And frankly, I can't wait to see exactly how the children use that. But I knew that whatever it was, it was was going to be used in a way that we didn't expect. But when we, we begin to think about the Christmas scene and the cards, Simeon and Anna are never on any of those things because they enter Jesus' life probably when he was about six weeks old. But they are significant players in the first Christmas pageant because both of these individuals were waiting for something. Actually, as we looked at the Scripture, they weren't waiting for something. They were waiting for someone Luke uses a Greek word that indicates the type of anticipation that identified their hearts as they were waiting for Jesus and as they were walking with an expectation of the Messiah or Savior. And and that Greek word literally means not just waiting, but alert to his appearance, ready to welcome him. There was an anticipation that was fluttering in their hearts and in their lives that they just couldn't wait to see what God was up to. In Simeon, it is translated, in Simeon's life in Luke 2.25, it says that he was waiting, but it's much more of an anticipatory attitude than that. 
And in chapter 2, verse 38, to describe the woman named Anna, it said she was looking forward to, but both of these terms in English just do not shadow well that the Greek anticipation of what was coming that they were looking for. And so we're introduced first to Simeon. It said there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. If we were to look at, say, what was the one thing that Simeon had hoped for in this season more than anything else, he would say, I am hoping for comfort. I am waiting for comfort. And when you look at the context of this passage, you begin to understand that things weren't going real well for the nation of Israel. Honestly, they, they had lived in a time where God had been silent for 400 years. They were under Roman rule. They had lost their political independence. They were living in fear of the crafty and cruel King Herod. And many at that time were wondering if the Messiah was ever going to come. Have any of you in your life ever begun to say to the Lord, Are you ever going to do anything? Are you ever going to show up in my life? Is anything ever going to change? If so, then you might know the heart of Simeon as he was waiting Verse 26 tells us that he had a good reason for his hope and his anticipation because it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, you and I get up every day, and we don't know if this is the last day or not. We are not guaranteed a tomorrow, but he knew because the Holy Spirit had told him, you will not die until this has been accomplished. And so with great anticipation, he is looking forward to this time. And Simeon, what he was hoping for, what he was focused on was the comfort that Christ would bring. Among Jews of, of Simeon's days, one of the popular titles of when they, they spoke of the coming Messiah was that, that he would be a comforter. And like some of the Christmas songs we sing, they were longing for the Messiah to come, to be one who would come alongside of them and put his arms around them and lift them and encourage them and comfort them while they were in the middle of this heartache. And it strikes me today, as we understand that comfort is a universal need of all humanity, we are not all that different today than they were then because we all struggle with loneliness there are some of you today that struggled with whether you should even come to church today because you're so lonely on the inside. We struggle with emptiness. We struggle with insecurities, even desperation. In fact, Christmas season is one of the major crisis times of the year where depression and thoughts of suicide are higher than any other time of the year. Why? Because we still are people in need. We're waiting for the comforter to come. And encourage our hearts. And the Holy Spirit prompted Simeon to go to the temple courts. And at just the right time, and on just the right day, Joseph and Mary were bringing their infant into the temple. And when Simeon looked at the baby Jesus, now about six weeks old, he knew in an instant this was God's promise. And God kept his word. Here he is, Emmanuel, God with us. And to make everything right, he's come to provide significance. His presence has come 
to reject all of the rejection and the fear and the heartache and the loneliness that we have. Here is the answer to all of that. He's alive and well, and I've seen him with my own eyes. Here's one of the things I love about this. Even though Jesus was a six-week-old baby, and we, we know what that looks like because we have a nursery full of babies. So strong and powerful, he so fully was God, even though he couldn't speak, even though he was still being nursed, even though he was completely dependent upon Mary and Joseph. At six weeks old, he was so fully God that the Holy Spirit's presence upon him instantly allowed a holy man of God to know, this is the child because I recognize the presence, the power of the living God. And then a unique thing happens. Tells us in... Verse 28, that Simeon reached down and he took the baby out of Mary's arms and he began to praise God and he began to dance around. And as I begin to picture what that might look like, you know, you have Mary and Joseph who are coming in and parents are naturally, even when they come to church, are naturally protective of their children. In fact, I love talking to new mothers and fathers trying to figure out when is a good time for us to come to church because I don't want all you germy people putting your hands all over my baby. And so here... Mary and Joseph come into the temple and instantly the presence of God alive and well within this six-week-old baby. Simeon comes running over to her, scoops the baby out of his arm, and this old man begins to dance and sing. And Mary and Joseph are going, what? He must not have looked dangerous as he broke into praise and he acknowledged that God has come and fulfilled his promise to us. But he'd been waiting for a comforter, somebody who would come alongside that knew what life was like and could bring comfort. The other character in this story is Anna. And Anna was waiting too, but she was waiting for something different. She was waiting for forgiveness. After her husband had died when she was a young bride... She had dedicated herself to fasting and prayer in the temple. In fact, the Bible tells us she never left the temple, but lived there worshiping and fasting day and night. In other words, if she were a part of our church, Anna's the person we're calling if you need something on the prayer chain, because she's always here. This is where she would live. And she was looking for the same person as Simeon was, but she had a different orientation in her heart, her needs and her desires and what was on her wish list as it related to what she really wanted out of this particular Christmas was she wanted forgiveness. And so we look at it in verse 38. And it said, she coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The word redemption represents to us that it's related to the idea of captivity. The Old Testament Passover and the release of Israel from Egyptian slavery stood in Anna's day as the ultimate redemption and the symbol of God's power to release captives. And ultimately, Passover pointed ahead to the day when God would provide deliverance from the slavery of sin. And when Anna saw Jesus, she knew that this was the answer. And even prophetically, without knowing all that he was going to go through, she just knew that the hope, the hope of forgiveness is wrapped up in the presence of this baby God. And as she goes to him to see him, she understands that at last her hopes for redemption are found in the one who would save his people from their sins. 
And we look at this story, and here's what we come to. Jesus provides what we need. I am here to joyfully exclaim to you today that I don't care what is on your list, what it is that you need. Jesus provides what you need. Whatever it may be within your life, within your home, within your marriage, within your relationships, within your job, Jesus provides what we need. He is the provider, and he has come. When Jesus came, he provided the very things that Simeon and Anna were waiting for, God's comfort, God's forgiveness. So let me ask you, what are you waiting for this Christmas? What is it that Jesus can give to you? Maybe today you can identify with Simeon. Maybe you're here and you're really, really hurting right now. Maybe you're here and you're lonely. You paste a smile on your face for everybody. But there's just such a deep sense of loneliness in you. And you say, I, I need the presence of the Lord to fill that. Maybe you're empty. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're maxed out. You feel as if there's just nothing left for me to give, and yet the expectations of everybody around me continue to grow, and you just come today, and you're going, Lord, what I need is you. I just need you. If so, my prayer for you today is that when you step into this place, we are on the other side of the birth of Jesus. We're on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so today, may you find comfort. If you need consoling, may God console you. May there be a fresh sense of God's presence that would begin to just drip into your soul and renew and refresh you. Whatever you need, whatever's on your list, whatever you're waiting for, Jesus is the provider. Or maybe today you identify more with Anna. And you're sitting here and you are plagued with sin. You have this deep sense of fear that although you attend church, you've never committed yourself to Jesus. And as a result of that, you sit here and there's this conviction that grips your heart. And can I tell you something? I see it week after week after week. If you could see what I see, that when the invitation is given, the faces that begin to just crinkle up and, and, and the fight that's going on in their spirit is, do, is today the day I give in. But yet I want to do what I want to do. I want to choose my own way. And the conviction that the Lord is saying, I'm inviting you. And the fight is, I don't know if I want to surrender. And so many times I've seen people, when given an opportunity, get up and walk out of the church without responding. And my thought is, how many more opportunities, O oh Lord? How many more chances? How many more invitations will they be given? Versus those that say, today is the day that I put down my fears and I find a redeemer. So if you need forgiveness, Jesus can give it to you. And I can think of no better time than this Advent season for you to find him. And now after having preached almost the whole message, I'm going to give you quick three action steps which are found in your bulletin. If you thought, great, he has preached this long and we haven't even got to point one yet. I want to put your heart at ease. How do we find him, find what we're waiting for? Number one, become a marveler. When Joseph and Mary tried to process everything that was happening, verse 33 says that they marveled at what was said about Jesus. According to the dictionary, 
To become a marveler is to be filled with wonder. It's to be astonished. It's to be surprised. Are you a marveler this Christmas? Or are you too caught up in the busyness and the stress of the season? Have you been running around because of the holidays? And are you taking time to make Christmas a holy moment within your life? Has Christmas become too predictable, too familiar? Have you heard the Christmas story so much that it no longer astonishes you? I will admit to you that I was at that place earlier this week. I was going through the Christmas story, and honestly, I was just at a frustrating place. Pastor Jeff was walking by the door, and I yelled, Pastor Jeffrey! And he sticks his head around the corner and goes, hmm? I said, I'm really struggling. After 38 years of pastoring, I'm trying to find anything that's new about the Christmas story to tell. I, I can't find anything new, and I was getting frustrated about it. And the moment I said it, the Holy Spirit convicted me. Has that ever happened to any of you? The moment you say something and the Spirit of the Lord just begins to convict you. I'm so glad because I thought I'm the only one who ever gets convicted. And the conviction was this. Don't lose sight of the miracle of what has happened. In a struggle to try to please all of you with something that may be new, sometimes it can become so predictable that we forget the fact that Emmanuel, God, with us happened and everything that we hope for and everything that we want is tied up in that it can become such a dangerous time of the year for us our our annual celebration of christmas can immunize, immunize us to the reality of what has happened and we hear just enough of the story each year to inoculate us against the real thing so that we never catch the real meaning of god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So here's an idea that may help you recapture the marvel of Christmas. Sometime during this season, just pick one of the characters and start to think what Christmas must have been like for them. I tried to do this over Thanksgiving with my grandkids. I have very imaginative grandkids, and their theology wasn't always really good, but the Christmas story comes alive when you ask them to, hey, pretend that you're Mary. What do you think it might be? Or pretend that you're so-and-so. And they begin to tell the story. And, and, I, and I began as I was listening to them to think, you know what? What must it have been like? I honestly, I wonder. I, I am so grateful that I live on this side of grace because I probably would have been an innkeeper. And said, you know what? There's no room here. Sometimes our cynical nature gets in the way and we wonder what it was like then. There's other people say, I wish I lived in that day. I'm so glad I live in this day. But just stop for a moment and think, what would that day have been like in the lives of those who were there? Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, Simeon, Anna, the wise men. Choose one, but stop and just think of it through their eyes. After you become a marvel or secondly become a mover, in verse 27... The scripture says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And then in verse 38, speaking of Anna, it said, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks. Both Simeon and Anna were movers. They were so accustomed and attuned to having the Spirit of God prompt them and instantly begin to act in obedience that they didn't miss a moment because they were moving when the Spirit told them to go. They were so attuned to it that they acted in that moment and went. In fact, as you look at the Christmas story, 
The Holy Spirit was prompting people all over the place, and the only person who did not move when the Spirit prompted was Herod. Mary was ready to move when the angel said to her, May it be to me as you have said. Joseph demonstrated that he was a mover when he woke up from his dream and said, Do what the angel of the Lord had commanded. And he took Mary, his, his uh, wife, and went home. The shepherds were movers as well when they heard, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. Listen, when God prompts you, move. He's up to something. He's leading you and guiding you. It might be that when you move, you bring the surrender of somebody else to Christ. I've, one of my favorite services of the year is Christmas Eve. And I want you to know something. We're having two Christmas Eves because on the 23rd and the 24th, the 23rd because some of you on Christmas Eve have huge family events and trying to get everybody together to come to church for Christmas Eve service at 6.30 is really hard. So we're having two of them, one the night before and then one on Christmas Eve. Would you do me a favor? Would you move when the Spirit prompts you to ask somebody to come and join you? Because that is one night of the year, along with Easter, where people's hearts are more open And I want you to know that if you will bring family and friends with you, they will be given an opportunity to experience the Christ of Christmas. But you're going to have to move when the Spirit prompts you. And it may happen in places you don't expect. It may be that you're standing next to somebody who is just empty and they're wondering, is there any reason to live? And at that moment, the Lord may just say, "I I want you to speak to them. But as the Spirit moves, people are drawn. And so become a mover. I'm struck by what Simeon told Mary in in verse 34. It must have taken her breath away when he said, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. Now, folks, I want you to know that is not Christmas card material. That's not really a joyful Christmas greeting. Simeon is not saying, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Rather, he's clearing his throat and prophetically speaking and said, Listen, Christmas will never be merry, and New Year's will never be happy until people get moving and surrender their lives to this child. Jesus is the one that may make the difference. And even today, people are split into two camps. Since Jesus has entered the world, he has divided the human race. Jesus will call the falling and the rising of many because of who Jesus is and what he came to do. He forces people to make a decision about him. He forces them to. And the Bible uses this powerful imagery. Jesus is either a rock that you will build your life on and become one who stands on the solid rock of Jesus Christ that is unmovable and unshakable and anchored, or the rock of Jesus will be one that you will forever stumble over and be offended by and run from. And Jesus is calling each of us to make this moral decision based upon our willingness to move and to respond. We will either rise on the rock of Jesus or we will fall over the rock of Jesus. But you cannot stay neutral. Some of you have struggled so long and tried so hard to live on the fence. I want the best of the world, and I want the security of knowing that if Jesus comes, I'm okay with him. And the Lord is saying, you can't just stand by the rock. You either build on it, or it will trip you. It's one or the other. You're either with him, or you're not. You cannot stay neutral. 
Which leads us to thirdly, if you are building upon the rock, then become a messenger. Interestingly, that as we work to become marvelers, we can't help but become movers. And that leads us to this final action step. In verse 38, it says, She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, because she had prayed for so many people, she had insight into those who were also looking for a forgiver. And it said she went to all of them, all of them, and began to speak to them about here is the answer that you have been waiting for. So do you have family and friends that have been caught up in the preparations for Christmas? Look at it this way. Maybe their anticipation, maybe their longings really represent an inner search for comfort and forgiveness. Those that are only things that the Messiah can provide. Emmanuel, God with us. So what are you waiting for this Christmas? We're going to have communion in just a moment. I'm going to ask our ushers if they would prepare themselves to distribute the elements. And I want to tell you that as they do, we tried for a couple of months with the old elements and love the efficiency. It was outvoted unanimously, never to do that again. We're going back to the old way. Yeah, we've heard that before. Everybody clap, yeah. So as the elements are distributed this morning, would you please hold them and wait till everybody has been served? If you're a guest here today, we have open communion, which simply means this. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate, but you do have to know Jesus as your Savior. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that after the elements have been distributed, just to invite Him into your life so that you can receive the full benefit of everything that's taking place. But as we sing, won't you distribute the elements, man? Heavens declare the glory of God, and all of the world will join the praise His wonders proclaim. The oceans and skies lift up their voice. And all he has made will rise to bless the King of all kings. Let us adore, let us adore Jesus Christ is the Eternity's King is coming again, and though all the earth will fade away, His truth will remain. Let us adore Him, let us adore Him. Jesus Christ.
declares to us a little bit about the atmosphere of this evening when Jesus was with the disciples the anxiety that he was under because it says this was the time when he was being betrayed he knew understanding that Christmas is what we celebrate but he was a child that was born to die he was born for a purpose that he could live sinlessly so that he would qualify to be the justifications for our sins. In other words, he would take my place and pay a penalty I could not pay. And he understood that this was all drawing to a close on this particular evening. And before we get into the story, I just want to invite you that if you're here today and you have never had the opportunity or you've never taken advantage of the opportunity to just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, to give you a new direction, to take the burden of the weight of everything that you've done in your life and remove it from you and make you a brand new creature. 